Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We explain what the return of Formula 2 means for the road to F1 and preview the junior single-seater season. Formula 2 pops back into existence in Bahrain on the weekend of April the 15th and 16th with the first round of the series formerly known as GP2. Last month, the long-running saga of whether or not the Formula 2 title really would be revived and to which series it would be attached was finally resolved, with Chase Carey, boss of Formula 1 Group, enlighteningly telling the world that the junior categories, and especially the upcoming Formula 2 championship, are strategic activities for Formula 1. My name is Ed Straw, the Editor-in-Chief of Autosport, and to discuss what that actually means and to look ahead to what should be a dramatic season is Marcus Simmons, Deputy Editor of Autosport magazine and our resident specialist on the junior single-seater ladder. Marcus, you're an aficionado of what might be called original F2, recently writing about attending the Thruxton round in 1973, so presumably you're very happy to see the category reappear, although I don't think Henri Pascarolo is going to be in the mix in Bahrain. Well, you never know, but uh, no, probably not. Yeah, I think what you're saying is I'm probably the only staff member old enough to remember the original Formula okay. 2, but yeah, had um, lots of great days watching races there when it, when it came to UK circuits. And um, yeah, the Formula 2 name, I think, is important. And I think that the um, GP2 series, 
gaining the name of Formula 2 is probably um, the ideal scenario for that. Okay, we're not going to have uh, marches and martinis on the grid, but it's it's a one-make formula. But it is a very strong one-make formula, and I'm I'm glad to see that happen. Also joining me is a very special guest who will be playing a major part in what happens on track in F2 this year, Jordan King. Jordan, you're heading into your third season in what was GP2. You have a unique advantage over the rest of your competitors as you're the only driver who's actually raced in F2 before, having done six races in the the previous revival of F2, uh, I think in 2011. So that's got to give you a, a big advantage, surely. Well, I, I think you're, uh, you're you're trying to pull on some some short strings there. <laughs> um, no, it's it's good to stay in what was GP2 again and now and now Formula 2, even though I'm technically a rookie, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> but the previous life of Formula 2, as you said, I, I did a few races at a time. I was the youngest person to drive Formula 2 in the, the modern era, and now it's in its second modern era. I think it's great for the sport to get the F2 name back into it, explaining it to the outside people when I go to my sponsors and say, oh, it's Formula 2, not GP2 that makes sense to them so I think it's great for the the sport in a general public image it's just logical isn't it Formula 2 it's very obvious what it is GP2 sounds a bit more yeah. left field and well we've now got Formula 3 Formula 4 as well so you know it, it there is a nice order down from Formula 1 well that's a good topic to start on we'll talk a little bit about your prospects and preparations for the season in a minute but looking at the wider picture of F2 obviously Marcus you talked a little bit about how positive it is to have it back. Can you just explain what's gone on here? Because I think it was 2015 when the FIA first said, yes, we want an F2 championship. And they had various ideas about what form that would take and some fairly optimistic structures for the kind of budgets that would be involved and, and that kind of thing. So so how have we got to, to this point? Well, that's, that's right. It was always at the back of their minds, really, from, um, from the early days of the FIA single-seater commission and when Gerhard Berger was in charge. But but at that point, we're talking 2012 to 14, really, it was put on the back burner because the main targets then were to get the Formula 3 European Championship strong and also to establish FIA Formula 4 across the world. Both of those were done. It kicked up a gear when um, Jean Tot was campaigning for his election for a second term as FIA president, and it was in his manifesto that one of the main targets was to introduce an FIA Formula 2. And about the same time, Stefano Domenicali took over from Gerhard Berger as president of the Single-Seater Commission. With Formula 3 and Formula 4 up and running, if you like, that became their main target. It has been a subject that's waxed and waned over the last couple of years. Originally, there was talk that the FIA might even uh, introduce their own new formula, which at that time would have gone up against uh, what was then called GP2 and what was then called Formula Renault 3.5. So a lot of people were saying, well, there's not going to be room for that. Something's going to have to make way. Fairly soon, it became clear that the more likely scenario would be trying to do a deal with GP2. And that really took a very long time because there was some reluctance on the part of Bernie Ecclestone. You know, he wanted GP2 and GP3 to really remain independent of the FIA. Obviously, with the change in ownership of Formula 1, of which GP2 and GP3 is part of that, it's um, become a completely different situation and the first inklings I got that this was possibly going to happen even for this year was around late January I think and uh, it happened very quickly but yeah it has it has been a rather long drawn out saga but which actually in its final days was resolved very quickly. Jordan how much has actually changed for the for the driver in the car it looks to me like a new name and a new logo but not a great deal else has changed at this time. I, I think at the moment that is about it you know as Marcus touched on it 
it's been a long time coming and everyone has been putting everything on back burners waiting to find out what happens and then suddenly it happened very quickly so there's very little that can change so i think the the bigger changes will come you know 12 months down the line we'll get a new car there'll be a new engine it'll be brought in line with formula one you know i would have thought the cars will look slightly closer to formula one as they normally do tire models will go down the route they're taking the engines will go down the route they're taking so i assume we'll now get a uh, turbo engine rather than a normally aspirated engine so although of course formula one's got engine plans for 2021 down the line so i guess trying to second guess what's going to happen there so it's it's yeah, aligned it's going to be the challenge the, that, isn't it that's always the thing but normally normally with what was gp2 which will now be formula 2 they followed formula 1 but a couple of years behind so i assume we will head more down that route and if you look at the um engine that's used in the gp3 car at the moment or even the formula 3 car it's in a nice place that you'd be able to add a turbo onto it to increase the power so it sounds like there's a good direction i mean marcus can you say any more on where you expect f2 to be over the next few years or is it still these basic ideas that need to be properly shaped and exactly what the car spec yeah, I, is and get the budget so they they make sense and yeah, it's affordable. I, I doubt that anyone knows, really. Um, <laughs> That's the usual answer in this yeah, kind of thing, isn't it? it? As, as we were talking about, it's, it's happened so quickly. I think now comes the time when uh, people do have to start discussing what Formula 2 is going to be. You did mention budgets, and obviously this is something that um, is relevant across the whole single-seater uh, landscape at the moment formula 2 formula 3 gp3 it is very expensive and i know when when jean tot was first thinking of a new fia formula 2 he was saying that budget should be no more than 1 million euros um, while at the same time suggesting there should be some kind of hybrid engine that would put, that would put the cost <laughs> that, up even that's more. <laughs> right yeah and i mean even current formula 2 it's very difficult to see how teams can get the budget down to a maximum of 1 million euros because motor racing is a very expensive thing at the moment so well, and there's often the misunderstanding i think amongst people that teams are coining it in with the amount of money they're charging but it's a hugely expensive business even f2 with a spec car it is very expensive and actually it's a bit of a misnomer to say that one make racing is by definition cheaper because obviously those spec parts are, are all being sold by one organisation at a price, whereas in the old days of competition, not just on chassis but engines, etc., it was possible for um, the competitors, the the very very good drivers, to get a free chassis or a free engine or, or something like that. Competition can cost a hell of a lot more, but it can also be cheaper. <laughs> and um, so it is a it is a difficult environment um, for the sport because um, yes, the the spec chassis nature of it does prevent outrageous development and costs going up that way. But but then again, everybody has to pay a fixed price for, for their equipment. Oh, we'll come back a little bit more to the, the kind of junior single-seater ladder and the implications lower down later on. But let's let's come back to this season. Jordan, you've had two years in GP2 previously. You've moved to MP Motorsport for this year from racing engineering. So why is that and can you tell us a little bit about where you've been in pre-season testing obviously there have been six days of testing three in Barcelona three in Bahrain you know your headline times were nothing extraordinary but headline lap times are just a tiny window into six days of running and the, the long run stuff is much more important so so where do you feel you are how are you settling in with a new team well MP it's been a 
kind of a three-year process of them trying to get me to try for them, basically. When I first stepped out of Formula 3, they tried quite hard. Obviously, racing engineering came out on top. And, uh, you know, this year, over the winter, you know, they were they were trying very, very hard. And time was right. Well, I felt the time was right. And, you know, and the, and the deal that was put forward was was right for where I am. So that's why I chose to head down that route with them and you know I've been pretty impressed with how active they are and how willing they are to try and make progress try and improve everything uh, we ran through a very good program in winter testing Bahrain we focused massively on the long runs you know we even saved two sets of new tires for our long runs so I don't think there was many people that that did that uh, but overall no it was all seemed all seemed pretty positive when you you look at the times okay it's always hard to tell what other people are doing and how much fuel they're running but when you looked at corrected times versus what we were doing it, it looked reasonably strong racing engineering is regarded as one of the top teams mp motorsport a little bit less so it's certainly a, a lower profile team uh, so does it feel like moving from a big team to a to a smaller one or is it a team that's kind of ready to break through there there are aspects of that the fact that racing engineering was established they've got 10 years of history to lean on and gradually you know making one percent increases throughout the whole year they get further down the road than where mp you know started four or five years ago um but i think that's part of the reason why they really wanted me there as i had the experience from already doing a couple of years in gp2 and you know both of us firing ideas off each other we have made i feel amongst the team whether whether we're actually much quicker on the circuit is a different matter but you know back in the garage and everything we, we're making good progress with the way people are working the speed at which they're working um the ideas that people are coming up with so you know there are a lot of improvements going on behind the scene which is is definitely helpful they may be a dutch-based team but the the british people there tony and sarah shaw and jeremy cottrell were um people you worked with at the beginning of your car racing career yeah well it's a bit of bit of homecoming um pretty much everyone in the team I've known for five or six years I drove for MP back in 2012 as well with um with Formula Renault uh so I know most of the guys there so yeah when I got in the car in Abu Dhabi it was very much just like being back at home it was it was easy to get on with everybody and you know you know you know how everybody reacts when you give them criticism or you give them praise so that kind of battle was already won and so what are your objectives for the season? Obviously, every driver's aiming to win the championship. That's the, the ultimate goal. What, what do you think is possible? You're seventh last year. Uh, had a couple of uh, sprint race victories. Well, I, I actually found last year finishing seventh was quite disappointing. Going into the last round, I could have finished third or I could have finished ninth. So it was a very close battle between us um, from third down to ninth. Um and unfortunately, I had a terrible last weekend, so ended up seventh, as you said. But I, you know, we we generally had pace and performances to finish um, easily in the top five in the championship. So I don't see why that can't be possible this year. Um, and I'd like to be able to get to the last race and be in the the hunt for the championship. It does feel like it. It's kind of dependent from an outside perspective on on the team level and the level mp is able to operate at so it sounds like you're quite encouraged in that regard there's there's lots of different things you know gb2 there isn't an exact science to it and uh and we saw last year that it doesn't matter if you're winning it after halfway through the year you can you know be consistent and still be at the front and you know i don't think marcello marcello was the only one out of the top 
10 that hadn't won a race, I think. Um, and he finished third. So, you know, it, you don't have to be winning races, but it it helps a lot more if you do win races as you score more points off one race. So there's definitely a lot more to it than just, you know, okay, go quick, get the results. Um, you do lean on the team a lot and you, you can see some drivers um, really lean on the team and they don't have to do much themselves when there's so much backing from the team. Let's bring Marcus into this in terms of assessing Jordan's performance, just to create a nice awkward atmosphere. <laughs> from from your expert vantage point, what what do you think you need to see from Jordan to kind of deliver a, a championship winning performance? What are the little areas of not weakness, but the areas where really have to just find that extra like one percent, and then we'll compare notes and see if you think that's fair or not. I'll, I'll cry and leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's difficult to say. Really, it is quite a hard series to read. Quite quite unpredictable as well just the way the race weekend format works one thing that Jordan was fantastic at last year was um, making the absolute most of being at the front of the grid for the reverse grid races on the Sunday and um, converting them into wins and there was a, a lot of pressure the uh, the two races um, I was at in July um, in Austria and, and Britain it was a it was a really tough job but he did both of them really well now Jordan's going to say I don't want to be at the front of the grid for the reverse grid. I want to be on the uh, the race one podium and having to fight through. So I think it's probably fair to say, looking at looking at last season, that you probably want to uh, just nail the qualifying a bit better and be in the first two rows and then crack on from there. Yeah, I think that's completely fair, to be honest. <laughs> You've not run out of the room, um, that's positive. No, I'm not crying. No, that's completely fair. As Marcus said, in Austria and Silverstone, where we won the reverse good race, for me, I came away from that weekend and that was more damage limitation. Whereas in you know Austria, we were running well, it rained, we made the wrong strategy call and ended up down in 12th and managed to get into eighth, got the reverse grid race and then and then won it. And then similar in uh, in Silverstone, we were 1-2 as a team and made the wrong strategy call, ended up 12th and 13th, I think, after pit stops and then had a last three lap dash at the end to try and get back into the top eight and and that was a similar thing then got the reverse grip pole and won the race so I think both weekends where I did win a win the reverse grid race were actually disappointing from my side and the team side as we probably should have won if not finished on the podium in in the first race but I completely agree with Marcus if you know if you're starting from pole in the first race it makes it a lot easier weekend from the word go anyway and you don't have to chase your way through well let's look at a few of the people you're up against let's say removing you from the equation the title favorites from where i'm sitting oliver Rowland at dams you'd think that's a team that should be able to come through the driver who's got pace but maybe didn't quite achieve as much as he should have done last season and you've also got charles leclerc at Prima. Prima won the championship last year or first and second with pierre gasly and antonio giovanazzi those seem to me to be the, the kind of two on paper favorites what what do you reckon marcus do you agree with that I would agree with that more more specifically on on Leclerc because okay he's a rookie to um Formula 2 this year but um he was GP3 champion last year he's a fantastic talent he's with the team that won the championship last year Prima last year we saw with Giovinazzi that being a rookie in uh, what was then called GP2 isn't necessarily going to set you back too much um so He's looking very, very strong for this year. Oliver Rowland, we all know how talented he is. We all know Dams' history. 
But the question mark for me is that both he and the team had um, very disappointing seasons last year. We just need to uh, really see what the state of play is over the first couple of races because, as, as we've already explained before, they have looked very strong in testing so far, but it's very difficult to read too much into that. What do you reckon, Jordan? Obviously, you've been there through testing, seeing what the pace of the these guys is. The first point Marcus made um, with Giovinazzi you know, when when your car is that much stronger than everyone else's, I think it it does make it a lot easier for you to win races. So the two Prima cars, you can't rule out if they produce a car like they did last year. Um, that's going to be very hard to beat both of them. And the other uh, Prima car being Antonio Forco. Yes, yeah. Ferrari aligned and um, it's been a little bit erratic, but on his day, yeah, very quick. exactly. On, on a bad day, things can go quite bad. You know, people said the same about Antonio last year, you know, very good but a bit erratic and you know when he was in the prima car and they were one two clear of everyone else it it looked a lot easier for them so i think that can always be be a tough one to call when you go into season and if if they do produce it it will be hard and uh you can't put it past ferrari that they've put a lot of effort into these two young guys to to do well so they're going to be well prepared as if they're not rookies anyway you know they'll be ready from the word go marcus also completely correct on dams i think Last year, you know, Lynn's a very good driver. Alex Lynn's a very good driver, but seemed to struggle to do it every weekend. Would win one weekend, and then I think at Silverstone he was right at the back of the grid. So there was a very up and down feel to it. So that could always happen to Ollie this year. But saying that, I think Nicholas Latifi. I don't think we can write him off either. He was um, quickest in one of the tests, wasn't he? He was. So. He was quickest in, at Bahrain, at Barcelona last year. He finished second fully on on merit and pace um so you know you never know if he gets underneath the skin of ollie and, and starts doing well there you know he could be the the number one driver at, at dams uh russian time are, are going to be good there they were strong last year you know i tested with them at the end of the year they've they've got a very good team and personnel behind them two very good drivers artem's in his fourth year now i think yeah yeah won the monaco um, feature last year so yeah a little bit of good fortune but <laughs> we'll we'll forget that one but, but mark loves a driver who a few years ago looked like a complete no hope yeah. at the back and then he's gradually yeah no they, 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 put, handy they put a very good car out and i think they've got two good drivers in the car so luca giotto in the other seat he looks like the kind of the obvious beerhead so yeah. we saw him have a run in run for the gp3 title a few years ago and just miss out I I I rate Markov quite highly actually. I think he um last year he struggled in qualifying but his racing performance is always quite quite good. So I you know I think I don't think it'll be a one one team one guy team. It'll be a it'll be a joint challenge from both of them. Is it, is it fair to say Markov is like the Sergio Perez of, uh, of <laughs> F2? And it, he does look after his tyres very well, doesn't he? After doing the test with them, I think they've got a very good car on tyres, put it that way. I think they, they have, a, have a good car on tyres. Um, because watching the way they drive, they can push hard the whole race, uh, which you know, is, is quite impressive. I remember being behind uh, Artem in Spa. Just think, how is his tyre staying alive? And he was driving away from me like he was going out of fashion. So, yeah, they'll they'll be strong. ART, you know, we saw at the start of the year, um, Nobu was was really strong until he got told off a few times, and uh, and then I, I assume he lost his way a little bit. But at the start of the year, you know, he was he was really strong. Um, and he's a Honda protege, so Honda were putting a lot of lot of backing into him as well. Straight away when he came into GP two when he was first was, in Europe a few there, years yeah. ago, he was he was quick. It was a bit strange last year not to see him start to deliver some consistency. So I guess there's a 
yeah. kind of fresh start this year. It's hard to say about Albon, the other car in ART. I just don't know. It's an unknown quantity to me. It's not something that I've really, really seen. But, you know, Nobu, I think if he really does get his head down and work on it, he's he's really quick. And we've seen that when he wins races, he drives away from people and he's put it on pole a couple of times. You know, he's he is a solid, solid driver. Um, so it'll be the usual, usual teams, usual suspects, I think, will be challenging at the front. Arden, they've got some good backing into the team. You know, as teammates with NATO last year, I know he's quite good. So well, he's the, be strong. He's the highest ranked returnee from last year. He's he? in that, that kind of morass of drivers year and he was fifth in the championship then. So you were seventh in Giotto, eighth role and ninth. So if you're just looking at the, the drivers with experience who were there last year, th- those are the kind of four. So is, is Nato someone... He seems to be quick on his day and then have ones where he goes missing with a few little errors here and there. But he's he's always looked like there's a there's a driver in there, but just Yeah, not def- definitely so. He um I think he was leading the championship after two rounds last year, I think. Um he was forty points in front of me, you know, straight away. Um a, a much, much better first couple of rounds. And then uh, by midway through the year we I'd caught up and overtaken him. So He's clearly got the speed. He won the first race last year, won Monza reverse grid, I think it was. And yeah, is is very encouraging. But he uh he doesn't mind a bit of a bit of a ding dong with people, I think. One thing about Leclerc, I mean he's he's an incredibly stylish, elegant, very fast driver. But the one question mark I've got over him from his last couple of years in Formula Three and GP three is that if there's a championship fight at stake he's a little bit reluctant to get involved we saw that play against him a couple of times in the gp3 reverse grid races and it's obviously the same format in um, formula 2 that might be quite interesting i would imagine that he'll probably see that as something that he's got to work on himself as well um and he's obviously um in a different environment this year with um Prima, who who he's never driven for before but have a very strong track record in uh managing drivers and giving them every possible piece of guidance that they can need to address what what they need to it's very unusual for this championship to be wrapped up long before the finish and um, there are a lot of drivers out there who can who can definitely win races and obviously it's also a a complicated championship to race in in terms of the race formats with the tyre compounds the high deg Pirelli tyres are still there. Sometimes you've got to make the choice to go on the shorter life tyres and then have to come through some people. Sometimes if you go with the uh, go with the more durable tyre, you run the risk of all sorts of safety cars and that kind of thing getting in the way. So you know whatever happens, you're going to have to fight. That's one of the good things and the bad things about the championship. It it throws a lot of curveballs, which is great for spectators. Everything happens in it. You never know what's going to happen. There's loads of overtaking. Uh, but from a driver's point of view, there's so many variables. It actually becomes quite frustrating. You know, I finished races last year where I was like, "There's, I couldn't have got that car across the line one second faster. That was the best I've ever driven in my life. And yet you'd finish like 14th because everything had just gone against you that race. From your perspective, Jordan, what, what would you prefer? If you could just reinvent F2 for this season with immediate effect to, to suit you, what, what would you rather have? I don't think it's, re- you know, don't reinvent the wheel. Um, I think it's more it's more the sport that's very political. It's a, it's a very political game. I don't think that's just a problem that motorsport has. I think quite a lot of sport has as a problem in general. But it's a massively political game. 
you know, with the the people in power, who who gets the race seats, um, you know, even with which teams are are quicker, can be down to you know very much politics, who's in the right team at the right time, and and this type of thing. You know, I would quite like to see something a bit more like, say, the American football system, where it's a college system, draft system, and all the players go to the draft system. They then get picked by the teams and then if the you know the worst teams can pick the better players and and that type of thing and I think that keeps it a lot fairer it stops just one person controlling what happens in the sport and how one driver can get taken along and you know we both know that it's uh, it's a, a very big money game this sport and you know if one driver gets picked up gets the backing put into them you know they can make it to the top regardless of of what happens and we, we you know, we've seen that numerous times over the years not just recent history that's happened all over the past well, obviously um, the super license points have been brought in to slightly counteract that if you look at the actual grid of f1 and you look at the drivers in it uh, you know, even world champions Kimi Raikkonen wouldn't be in there yep. Alonso wouldn't be in there Vettel probably wouldn't be in there so there's lots of drivers who you would think are the, are the greatest drivers in in the world that wouldn't be there Verstappen definitely wouldn't be there you know now you have to do at least one year in Formula 2 and you have to get enough super license points so in some ways they're actually keeping the power with the drivers that are already in there you know you'll get people like Massa staying on longer and Alonso staying on longer because there's less drivers being able to come up but also with that as we mentioned previously, there's not an exact science to getting the points. You know, you could blow an engine up, completely not down to your fault, especially in the spec championship where it's a spec engine, you can't control it. It's completely not your fault. You end up finishing fourth in the championship because, as we said, they're very, very tight championships. You go into the last race, challenging for the win, end up finishing fifth. You don't score enough points. And also with that, if you've not got the golden tick from somebody who is in, in the position, you won't break through that glass ceiling anyway. So... It's a very it's a very tricky balance, I think. Any solution to that, do you reckon, Marcus? <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a big question. We can answer that one. Uh, somebody's going to want to want to get you to lay out how to how to recreate motorsport. <laughs> That's a tough one, isn't it? Um, I, mean, I I do think that Formula One teams are on the side of conservatism quite a lot. I would like to see more young drivers given a chance that's partly Um, down to the lack of testing opportunities yeah but it's also um there are only 20 seats yeah you know when when i was and they hardly change during a season as as they would have done in the past yeah so when i was at school or and then a student there were 35 to 38 f1 cars and f1 drives available nine of them being knocked out in pre-qualifying on a friday morning but still these drivers were in f1 so there are a lot more opportunities then and yeah i don't really know what the solution is i mean one one thing is ross braun's raised the idea of non-championship f1 races Uh, i don't know how serious he was but something like that i think would be pretty cool really because that would be a great opportunity for say ferrari to give charles leclerc a drive in uh, in a non-championship f1 race or uh, or or manner if they were still on the grid to give you a drive and that something like that would be absolutely great but obviously the f1 calendar is now so big so where are they going to fit these things in it's it's a tough one i think even with that idea whether there was one car you know pirelli had a test car whether that was used as a 
B car on the grid or something like that. Say, right, the championship winning car from last year, that's used for the previous year. Okay, this year it would be a bit slower, but at least there's someone in Formula 1. They can then try and raise the finances to go and do it. It only costs a fraction of what it would cost to run the full race team or introducing something that means they're guaranteed to get some budget from FOM. Formula 2 is a profit-making organisation. So, you know, there's there's excess budget in places that could be allocated elsewhere to help drivers get a break, start somewhere, you know, or, or even just make it more more accessible. When whenever a new driver comes into Formula One, you say like Max Verstappen or Kvyat when he came in, Science, when all these new drivers come in, everyone there always has a big buzz about them. Oh, look how amazing they were! Look at the, 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 what what they've achieved, how good they are. But then when you look at them back in the junior formula, yes, they were good, but they weren't suddenly 20 times better than everyone else. They were on par, they were winning races or they would get beaten. So I think there's another 30 of us that are waiting in the sidelines who are just as good, if not better, than than a lot of the people in Formula 1. But, you know, the politics doesn't quite line up for everyone. And as Marcus said, there's 20 seats and there's probably 50 people who are legitimately good enough to be in Formula 1. Obviously, the difficult thing is there's always the commercial aspect. For example, so Marcus mentioned the the idea of a non-championship race, but obviously teams are going to want to know it's cost-effective to go there, so you're going to have to have something that's marketable. And while I think ourselves and Autosport readers will probably be quite interested to see Jordan King in a Mercedes versus Charles Leclerc in a Ferrari versus Nobuhari Matsushita in a, in a McLaren, or I think uh, I think he's going to be struggling to be in that fight. But the vast majority of people who are making it commercially viable aren't that interested. You can make it a, rights, a rights-free weekend. So suddenly five or six TV companies come along and say, oh, okay, it's Formula One, it's not the big name drivers, it's not part of the championship, but we'll happily give X amount of money to cover the non-championship weekends. You've got two or three rights-free weekends where you get the more publicity buzz, passes are free for everyone in the paddock, and they'll make the money elsewhere. But at the moment, it's so controlled, it, it becomes very difficult to actually think outside the box and do something different. Now, I, th- I think the new owners are really starting to change that. We've, I think we've seen that in a very short period of time that they've changed that massively. But you know, to your point that is it commercially viable? Well, I think it could be. You just need to do it in a different way. It comes from breaking out of the existing model, doesn't it? Which yeah. Could, which could take a, a few years, obviously, with all the bilateral agreements. With the- Yeah, if you, if you said to... The teams, right, there's a non-championship weekend. One car is allowed to be the race driver and then another car has to be a young driver or, or your test driver or, or something. Or you can have both race drivers, but you have to pay a bit of a forfeit or something. Um, you know, there's two or three weekends like that. The, there's no rights agreement between anyone. So TV companies come along and just do the, you know, one weekend deal or sponsors can do a one weekend deal i think you would be able to create more of a buzz and you see that in other sports where they have one-off championships elsewhere or, or one-off events that create a massive buzz so like, like the super bowl uh, looking back a little bit more at f2 itself this year we talked about quite a few drivers but there's a few other interesting interesting cases out there obviously your old team racing engineering they've got louis delatraz who was runner-up in the Formula V8 3.5, which was the Renault World Series. He's obviously a quick driver. Gustav Malia, who doesn't have a brilliant CV, but he's shown a good turn of pace on on occasion, particularly last year. So do you think of some of the outsiders who might surprise? 
Well, they're, they're a very good team, and they're very good at helping the driver understand how to drive quickly, um, especially over race distances. So I have no doubt that you know they'll be they'll be strong. Um, whether they can turn that into a full year championship, it's it's yet to be seen. Uh, as you said, Mali has been quick, shown some good race results last year. Delatraz is clearly fast. He's finished second in three point five, um, but Formula Two is a different championship to that and who knows so I'm sure they'll be there How's your teammate getting on? Sergio Setkamar obviously Marcus knows him well from F3 he's he's a quick quick driver again one who maybe hasn't accumulated the results he should have done but there's clearly speed there Yeah I don't think you become a Red Bull driver without having speed so he's clearly fast um, you can see that he is fast uh, looking at his data and some of his understanding he's very good uh, but I think he's quite young as well. I think he's only 19, isn't he? So you, you can see that as well in him with some of it. You know, he uh, he does lean on the team a lot and ask a lot of information from the team. Marcus, there's an interesting lineup at Rapax. Uh, Nick DeVries, the McLaren junior, who was six in GP3 last year, and Johnny Chicotto Jr., who uh, is the most experienced GP2 driver of all time. 119 starts, going all the way back to 2009. Uh, he, he did appear to have retired from uh, from this thing. Well, he did <laughs> a bit of a he did a bit of a masser on us, didn't he? I think <laughs> yeah. he, I think he retired and then came back when he realised he couldn't live without it. But yeah, those two, uh, Chicotto and DeVries, they properly belong in that group of drivers I referred to earlier who if they won a race you wouldn't be shocked um yeah they're both they're both quick enough Chicotto did that comeback at the end of last year did the last two rounds with Rapax and uh looked really strong in Abu Dhabi they've both been going really well in testing although we never really know what strategy the different teams are on in in each session De Vries says he's really really happy there because it's the first time he's driven for an Italian team since his karting days. And we know how strong he was in karting. He had a phenomenal record when he came into car racing. And he just feels feels like he's back to that situation again with the people he's working with. So, so yeah, they're proper outliers, I'd say. Um, I don't know if uh, Jordan would agree on that. I think it's difficult to see where they are in testing as they were kind of always there. Um, they were quite late signing. So it was kind of a bit of a... A hum around the pit lane that it was you know very much going for the headline times to try and help some sponsors come across the line who who knows um it clearly were quick anyway they can put a lap in even if they were going for times they yeah they, they can do it so it'll be interesting to see what happens when actually the going gets tough you got 40 minutes practice straight into qualifying race you know it's all a bit different but Rapax put a good car they've won the championship Chicotto at the end of the year uh finished second in Abu Dhabi so he's got got a good car. Um, they're both good drivers. So yeah, it should be should be interesting to see what happens. Uh, but same again, I think that's that's one of the ones you're not quite sure. You wouldn't be surprised if they win races, as Marcus said. But it's a strange one at the moment because they were kind of a bit too quick at the start of testing to look actually that quick. Kind of they wouldn't they wouldn't be the first to do that in motorsport. I mean, obviously Chicotto built a little bit of a reputation for himself as a bit of a wild driver, a few incidents in the past. And Sergio Canamassas, who's recently confirmed at Trident, he's got a bit of a reputation as well for some incidents. I seem to think you are on the list of drivers who've had a, who've had a moment with uh, with Canamassas in the, in the past. <laughs> I think everyone has, haven't they? I don't, I don't think it's... Um it's particularly prejudiced to one one person, <laughs> it's just in general. No, Johnny Chicotto 
looking at GP2 and or Formula 2 now, when I was coming up the ranks, he looked like one of the crazy ones. But actually racing against him, I think he's probably past those days now and more than more than fair between both of you. Um, Sergio Canamatas, I think he still he still likes it. He just just gets enjoyment out of it. He must must do. <laughs> um, everyone everyone's come across him. It's just I think it's just part of the part of the package of the championship. So he's just one of those drivers you just hope you don't make your pit stop and come out behind him and have to go past him. You just have to think a bit more. Pick pick your battles a little bit more with him. <laughs> he, he is very entertaining to watch though, and and mm-hmm. you know watching him overtake in Monaco. I think um, he he just doesn't really have any um it's more the uncertainty (laughs) normally overtaking people when you know when i uh, was at silverstone when i was racing pierre we both knew where each other were going we gave each other room uh and yeah we were very very close we were within a couple of inches of each other but there was no problem the same with sorokin in hungary i remember we went side by side for about four corners in a row um, I made it a very difficult job for myself, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, and you knew what everyone was doing. You knew roughly what was happening, but um, it's the curveball that Sergio can throw at you sometimes. Where you just you just never know what's what's going to happen, which makes it good fun. That's a bit of uh, a bit of fun for the spectator, but maybe not for the for the driver on the receiving end. <laughs> well, we talked about F two a lot. We've also got the European F three Championship starts the same weekend. GP three starts in support of the Spanish Grand Prix. Uh, obviously, Marcus keeps very close eye on on both those championships, F3 in particular. See, Jordan, you're a, a former British F3 champion. You're not raced in GP3, but it's obviously the same paddock, so you'll you'll have a, a a bit of a feel for it. Coming back to the whole structure of of single seater racing, where does GP3 and an F2 fit in? Obviously, when the announcement was made about uh, the announcement was made about F2 being recreated for this year, there was an interesting comment from Domenicali in the in the FI release, which cited. Yeah, F2, we've got everything we need to craft a clear and logical path for single-seater drivers from grassroots for Formula 1. He went on to cite FI Formula 4 at national level, European F3, then F2. There wasn't a great deal of mention for GP3. so Or any. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it feels like what might be called the three level of racing it is, is ripe to be consolidated. It's very, very early days because this is an obvious follow-on from GP2 becoming Formula 2 and there was no point really going into major discussions um, before that happened. Now that GP2 has become Formula 2, presumably you would hope that um, these things are being discussed and looked at. And really, you'd have to say, um, having Formula 1, Formula 2, and then GP3 on the same package doesn't make any sense um, in the in the eyes of the fan. Um it should be Formula One, Formula Two, and Formula Three, and then at the same time we've got a situation where we have only eleven teams now left in those two championships in total. At the moment, um, we've got we're looking at nineteen cars on the grid for Formula Three, and as we speak, there's what sixteen or seventeen drivers signed up for GP3. So. So that's a total of only about 35 or 36. So it's, um, it is a struggle at the moment at that level of the sport. The two series do work in competition to each other. And the early indications are that 
they will at least talk about one of those championships falling by the wayside in a couple of years without meaning any disrespect to GP3. Um, I think the general wish of most purists is that Formula 3 is the one that continues as Formula 3 rather than GP3. I think probably most drivers would prefer to come up through Formula 3 as well. Well, Jordan, you've, you're a driver who's come from that. Obviously, you have a lot of experience of F3. I think you briefly uh, tested GP3 a few a few years ago, so you've got a little bit of... Yeah, I did one, did one session in GP3 <laughs> so with, vast with a broken damper, so that wasn't that great. I, I, I personally lent towards the S3 side because it's a great car. Um, you can't beat Formula 3, the you know, power to weight and the balance you can you can get from the car you can create a really nice nice race car um i think it's a shame that they've gone to paddle shift because the stick shift created a much better car to drive gave another aspect and it really did separate the good and bad drivers where as soon as you went to paddle shift it just muddied the water and it meant anyone could be quick i think it's hard to see the two three championships still existing together and and gp3 probably going from that especially now as as formula 2 is called formula 2 and not gp2 so marcus f3 european championship this year the drivers that stand out there maxi gunter back at prima this year and and callum islet who's now also there they seem the two drivers who are best placed to to, to be up front yeah they're probably the the two favorites on paper really both of them are at prima uh, who are clearly the top team in Formula 3 that's not to say they're unbeatable because um, you know people prove that time and time again but it's post both, post Lance Stroll Primer as well yeah so well, this is this one. is the, the quite interesting thing in that um, last year it, it looked as though uh, Lance was very much the uh, the team's favourite to go for the championship I think it's fair to say and then um, the year before that um, Felix Rosenfist was very much the, the the lead driver in the team to go for the championship but this time um, we've got two drivers um, in Callum Eilot and Maxi Gunter who are who look extremely evenly matched. They've both done two seasons in F3 so far. Um, Gunter's already had one year at Prima, finished second to Lance Stroll last season. But Callum is also an extremely talented driver and it's going to be a question of, I think, who gets an edge over the first few rounds. And the other the other drivers who stand out, uh, we've got Lando Norris at, at yeah. Carlin. Obviously, he's a hugely promising driver. Yeah. Uh, Jake Hughes at High Tech, Joel Erickson at Motor Parts. There's there's again a bunch of drivers who have got pace and maybe the ability to get involved in that championship fight if they find that last one percent here and there. Exactly, and and those those three drivers, Lando Norris, Jake Hughes, and Joel Erickson, are the three drivers who we've um, picked out in. This week's Autosport magazine out on Thursday to uh, in who can take the fight to Prima. <laughs> That's an excellent play. <laughs> so, yeah, Ericsson, Ericsson is the only one of those three who's already done a full season in Formula 3 and um, he's staying with Motorpart for a second season. He looked very, very strong right from the beginning of last season. A couple of things went wrong for him as they, as they often do for rookies but he ended up pretty much as the leading challenger to stroll by leading consistent challenger to stroll by the end of the season um so i'm expecting really good things from him um lando norris has obviously had a lot written and said about him over the 
last few months, deservedly so, because and of, of course his... the McLaren All Sport BRDC mm. Award winner yeah, from last that's year. Right, yeah. Um, so he is coming into Carlin, who had who had a shocking 2016 in F3, really, but um, but really um, came back in force at the end of the year in the final round of the championship at Hockenheim when Lando joined them for his first F3 race outing and then obviously they went to Macau uh, Lando made a bit of a silly mistake in the um, qualifying race where he hit the wall on the run away from the start on the on the opening lap but stormed through the field in the in the Grand Prix itself on the Sunday and uh, Antonio Felix da Costa won the race and Jordan's new teammate Sergio Sacamara finished third also in a Carlin car so um, so they ended the season on a high so they're looking good and um, then you've got Jake Hughes who basically looking at the way he drives a Formula 3 car you'd say that he probably should have done that last year instead of GP3 because he's he's very very smooth style just looks absolutely perfect for F3 and he came in at Hockenheim and immediately was qualifying up at the front and uh, finished on the podium and then um also he went to Macau with um Carlin and um finished as the top rookie in in sixth place so he's actually been snapped up by high tech over the winter um which um was quite an interesting one on the driver market um but um yeah I think I think they'll be very strong and he's he's potentially going to lead that team Sean, is anyone leaping out? Well, as we all said, that Prima are going to be hard to beat. Um, I think they've won the championship five years in a row now, or whatever it is. Six now. Six, six <laughs> years in a row. So there you go. They're, they're going to be hard to beat. Um, so it really is about taking it to them. But for me, I think it's Jake Hughes is the is the one that will be able to do that. That said, if he can work well with high tech, and high tech's the kind of the unknown quantity, but... Marcus touched on it when he jumped in the car at the end of the year. He hadn't driven it before with Carlin at, where was it, Hockenheim. Hockenheim. He wiped the floor with Lando Norris, finished third or second in the race, You know, really showed a, a clean pair of heels. Um, so I, I think if he can kind of get high tech working well behind him, they'll uh, they'll be very strong. And, and he's, you know, he's the one that actually is more of a, a standout contender than the others, I think, especially for his experience and mileage in in the car. There's also a few famous names there, famous surnames anyway: Mick Schumacher, Harrison Newey, and Pedro Piquet. Uh, I won't I won't introduce who their uh, who their fathers are, but they're all very very obvious uh, to uh, to followers of, of motorsport. Obviously, well, yeah, well we, we should say that Mick's the son of Michael, not Ralph. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that, that's that's fair. Yeah. Um, Obviously, Mick Schumacher and Harrison Newey have both had success in in F four. Uh, Pedro Piquet had a erratic season last year, although there were a few moments where he strung it together and there, there was good pace. So, should people be getting excited about about this trail? Obviously, there's going to be a huge amount of attention on on Schumacher on his step up to uh, to F three. With Schumacher, I think it's probably good that the first round is at Silverstone because he's probably going to be pretty much left alone to. Um, to do his thing obviously the yeah the british spectators are are gonna perhaps want to get a few photos or something like that but i think it's not going to be anywhere near the mania that we might see in germany hopefully be a a more gentle introduction to formula three for him now he he is a rookie um i think 
really it's difficult to compare him with anyone um, other than Joey Mawson, who's at Van Amersfoort Racing, because it was Mawson and Schumacher who battled for the German F4 title last year. So Mawson won that. Um, good talent, Australian. A lot of people have worked really hard to get him the budget to, to be in there this season. But anyway, we weren't talking about that. We were talking about <laughs> the famous names. Um, Newey and PK are both coming into their second season, both staying with Van Amersfoort Racing. Newey was a little bit disappointing in a way last year because he, he's, he's, he's a quick driver, isn't he? I actually thought PK was the more disappointing because I thought Newey had the steeper learning curve um, because um, PK was coming from two years of F3, albeit in Brazil, but at least he'd been driving F3 type cars. Um, whereas Newey had come from the BRDC F4 championship plus doing as many German events as he could. Whereas the other F4 graduates were from Italian and German, which are both very, very competitive. So um, so I thought Newey had the steeper learning curve and I was a bit more impressed with him than I was with PK. And also Newey's had a very strong winter in the MRF Challenge based in India, which he, he snatched at the last round by winning it and setting getting the points for fastest lap and um, just pipped Mawson to the, to the title. So that will be good for his confidence. And he has been very quick in testing as well. PK has also been looking better than he did last year, but I'm um, I think the the most the, the thing with PK I'm uh, most looking forward to is seeing whether he still has that um 1983 Brabham livery on the car. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, either that or if he turns yeah, up in a Rolt. Yeah. But hopefully hopefully yeah. I mean he's a he's a nice lad and um I'm hoping that he can step up a bit and um, challenge over a race weekend because apparently he was strong in testing last year just it was a question of putting it together in qualifying and let's also have a little bit of a look at gp3 obviously we're a bit further out from the start of the championship it's earlier in testing looking at that field which uh, there's still a few gaps to be filled it's the art lineup that stands out again jack aitkin Nero Fukuzumi, george russell antonio bear you feel that that's the the place that the champion's gonna most likely come from I think it's almost inevitable, really. I, I can't see it coming from another, <laughs> another team, to be honest. We've got um, Jack Aitken, who who ended last season, his rookie year in GP3 with Arden, very much on an upward curve. Um, and um, you, you'd you say that he is someone that ART would definitely have targeted and wanted in their, in their team over the winter because of his GP3 experience. He's quite a um, low-key guy, um, not not one to shout about things so he tends to go a little bit under the radar but um but he is a very good driver sitting here now you'd probably say it's a battle between him and George Russell um but George is extremely good very highly rated within the F3 paddock but you know he's not done a GP3 season yet so he hasn't gone gone through that quirky random nature of a GP3 it'll, it'll be interesting season. to see how much support George gets from Mercedes um, as obviously he's had their backing in Formula 3 where they have a direct obviously on the engines and with the DTM package you know it's a bit more at home if you're a Mercedes driver but obviously GP3 isn't so much related to Mercedes so it'll be interesting to see actually how much effort and support he is getting from Mercedes during the year um, whereas Jack is obviously at Renault where he was last year so clearly there's already a good support through that Anyway, so yeah, it'll be be interesting to see who kind of backs their driver the most. 
it does seem to be based on testing so far that George Russell is is the one who's got got maybe the little edge at the moment. The test at Estoril was quite dodgy weather-wise, um, and you know, as as with any as with anything, we don't know what uh, programs the teams would have put their different drivers on. Um, I wonder whether someone like Jack Aitken, for instance, doesn't need to go on new tire runs from the beginning of testing because he knows he's he knows how to use a GP3 qualifying tire whereas maybe that's something that you might put a rookie like George on just to get a bit of a you, a, you often baseline. see as well with rookies <laughs> in testing when they come out of something they come in something they've got a bit more confidence it's all new they're relaxed they drive the car quite nice winter testing it's colder the grip's down it's a bit easier um, I remember in Formula 3 in, in winter testing you know, I was I was really strong in my first year, and I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to be this is going to be good. Um, but then when you get into a race weekend, it just becomes a bit different. It's warmer, there's more grip there. You've got to do it in twenty minute session. You know, it just it just changes the aspect of it. Um, so there might be a little bit of that there. I wouldn't have thought so with George because he's now experienced enough to understand what he needs to do. But you know, there might be a little bit of that there with you know, it's all fresh. It's you know, the the weather's a big thing um, that can make you know you can be two seconds a lap quicker around a circuit just because the weather's different. Um, so there is always there is always that as well. Any other drivers you'd be tipping to cause a bit of a surprise in in the other teams? So there's another famous name in Giuliano Alesi, son of Jean. Although I think um, he's not going to be someone who, based on previous form, is going to be in the, in the championship fight by any means. Well, yeah, he he was on a. He was on the probably the steepest learning curve out of everybody in in junior single seater racing last year because he'd come from one year of French Formula Four right up to GP three probably bit off a bit more than he could chew. You'd have said the logical move from there would have been one or two years in Renault two liter. Um, so it's like the logical <laughs> move would have been for Jean Lacy to drive for Williams in ninety one <laughs> rather than Ferrari. Isn't it? <laughs> That's a family trait though. <laughs> anyway, um, but. Yeah, he he did he did show flashes of speed last year, and and let's see if he can uh, put it together a bit more this year. But what I wouldn't, what I would suggest not to do is uh, ignore the the other two drivers at ART because um, Nero Fukuzumi is quick enough. We saw that last year, um, and Antoine Hubert is um, also a quick guy coming from Formula Three. Won races in uh, Renault Euro Cup couple of years ago um was a race winner in f3 last season so so they're not drivers you can discount um you might you might put Aitken and Russell ahead of them when you're tipping for the championship but on any given race weekend you couldn't rule Fukuzumi and Hubert out I would say Nico Kari at Arden as well he had yeah he had a very impressive in places season in Formula 3 last year and won a race at Imola which is a pretty tr- tough track. Um, he's kept on the Red Bull scheme, and the only thing with him is he possibly needs to show a bit more maturity in the car to make it a bit more consistent than last year. He had the worst disciplinary record in Formula 3 last year as far as picking up penalty points and his license was concerned. So um, he needs to sort that out but he's getting you know he'll be a year older he is fast how about Yenza Motorsport it's not one of the top teams in GP3 but they've got Alessio Lorandia Pogrom Prix when they've also got Arjun Maini 
who's had flashes. He's a, a Kerry and Chandok protégé. Yeah, they, they were teammates in Formula 3 at Van Amersfoort Racing in 2015, actually. Both of them a bit inconsistent so far in their careers, I'd say. Um, Miney, to be fair, did really well once he switched to GP3 with Jenser quite early in the season last year. And um, I would say that if he can if he can build on that and be quick straight out of the blocks, then he could have a good season. But having seen him in Formula 3, I think if he isn't quick out of the blocks, that could really affect him psychologically and he might struggle to recover from that. Pretty similar for Lorandi, really. Um, Lorandi is a driver who GP3 hasn't seen too much of, but he was quite up and down in Formula 3. He's absolutely He's absolutely phenomenal on street circuits and especially in the wet. But on um, on what you might call Tilka circuits, he's he's a, got a bit of a uh, propensity to overdrive a bit, knowing that those tarmac runoffs are, are all around him. So um, so that needs to be coached out of him a bit. The interesting thing with GP3 this year, the big change is the arrival of DRS. Jordan, you've used this in GP2 the last couple of years, I think. Uh, your first season was the first season of DRS. What benefit does that bring? Obviously, it should make overtaking easier as long as the DRS is working. I know there are a few problems early on when uh, when the system wasn't quite working as it should have done, but obviously it makes overtaking more easy and potentially could improve the show. But from a kind of driver's perspective of preparing for Formula One, what do you think you get out of having DRS? Well, I suppose the... Uh... The bigger question is: Is Formula One going to keep it? Because now there's <laughs> now there's suddenly a, a buzz around the fact we don't we don't want it anymore. So there's no exact science to the logic of where some of these things go. But I think the effects that the DRS will have in GP3 won't be quite as great as what we have in Formula Two, and even so, what Formula One have yeah. less downforce, therefore less less, less downforce, yeah. and and you look at their rear wing, it's it's not as as big as well. So they're not reducing what what they can can by as much as, as we they've do. they tried to up the downforce a tiny bit with the change of that, haven't they? It's a little bit, not stat changes, but a tiny yeah. a tiny bit. Nothing, nothing that will make vast difference, but I think they were, were a bit worried about that side of things. Though. Yeah. Well, if ever a championship needs it, I think GP3 does because um, they do struggle to overtake. They struggle to follow quite closely. Formula 2, probably not. We actually <laughs> can follow quite quite closely anyway. But the biggest thing from a driver point of view is just getting used to using it it's you know, it's quite an easy system to use you're just pulling a paddle but it's still something else to do um in qualifying and in in practice and everything it's not that much of a problem because you pull it every lap so you get used to breaking at the same point but obviously in races you pull it some laps and then you don't pull it others and with the tire wear your braking distances change as well so if you're approaching the corner 15 kilometers an hour quicker your braking distance is going to change as well. And obviously you need to judge that. Um, you don't want to overslow the car or you don't want to overshoot the corner. So you've got to judge the speed difference of where you need to brake and then overtaking becomes a bit different. Um, you know, do you overtake before the DRS zone or do you overtake after it? So there's just more aspects that you need to consider, um, which they have in Formula One 10 times over because you've got all the other things on the on the steering wheel as well. Obviously you've always got your eye on the next step and Formula One obviously is the, the number one objective but where are you looking forward career-wise? Are you starting to look at other opportunities and other categories? We see a lot of strong single-seater drivers getting into sports cars. 
is this at the time where you need to think you have to have irons in multiple fires for kind of where you're going to settle in motorsport? Well, 100%. I don't think it's much rocket science to work out that I didn't intend to do Formula 2 this year or GP2 this year. Unfortunate circumstances led to something else happening and a bit of a last minute thing coming together. Um, so, so you're pretty sure that if Manor had been around, you'd have been able to get onto the onto the grid? I, I would have tried to go for that one, yes. Um, I, whether I was on the grid, it's a, a metaphorical question because uh, it doesn't doesn't exist. You might as well say, yeah, you would have been and you'd definitely been on the podium in Australia. That's... <laughs> there you go. I, I can't be quoted for that one. Um, you know, my goal has always been Formula One. That's the dream I had as a, a child, and I'm as close as I ever have been. But also feel as far away as you ever have been. You know, that, I think that's the irony of the closer you get to where you want to be, the the harder it harder it gets. I still want to make that reality, um, but the reality of it is is very tough. So. There's lots of other motorsport options around the world. You've got America, you've got Japan. Their home nation motorsport's very strong, so there's there's always options to to move further afield. Um, we see Formula E growing very quickly. Um, I'm not sure that is the answer to motorsport, but that is the way it's going to go. Um, whether us as motorsport fanatics of the purest form like it all motorsport will be electric racing at some point in the future because we're going to run out of fuel because it's quite a simple equation. We can't can't have combustion engines. So I'm actually quite excited by the prospect of Formula E and the direction Formula 1 has gone with the engines. And, you know, as a feat of engineering, producing a 1.6-litre engine that can put out almost 1,000 horsepower, I think is very impressive. So I think that side of motorsport I am personally quite interested in you know, the electric side, the growth of, of that market anyway. Um, so I could see myself participating in that form of motorsport because I'm quite personally excited about it. And then obviously there's the sport car option. Um, you know, it's, it's massive. There's factory teams in there. There's um, wealthy individuals who want to go racing as well. So there's there's lots of other sources of income. There's It's not so much commercial income where formula one's trying to run it on commercial income you know sponsorship and, and marketing where that side of things is is from manufacturers and uh and individuals bringing money to the table so it sounds like all options open i guess that that's all, all drive, options open yeah a, a driver in your position has to look at yeah. every opportunity and try and find somewhere to settle down and be a professional driver I guess yes that, yeah you know i've been in a very fortunate position where i've had uh some very good backers and partners over the years that have helped me get to where I have but there comes a point where you kind of want to not rely on them and rely on on, on someone else that you know that, that pays the bills and you know manufacture support is I think where it's where it's at uh, but there's not very many manufacturers putting a lot of money into motorsport at the moment. Well it sounds like there's plenty to look forward to in the the F1 feeder categories over the coming year. Autosport will carry full coverage of Formula 2, Formula 3, GP3 throughout the whole season, both in the magazine, out every Thursday, and on autosport.com, which also carries all the latest news and features from the whole world of motorsport and, and Formula 1. Obviously, we'll be following uh, following Jordan's progress, uh, among others. So thanks very much for coming in, Jordan, and, and offering your your insights, which is uh, it's great to have a driver's perspective. Uh, please subscribe to the Autosport podcast on iTunes and various other podcasting platforms we're coming out uh, every week with with podcasts and in fact this one this one will be one of two podcasts this week as we'll also have the the post 
Chinese Grand Prix podcast uh, coming out. So thanks very much for listening. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever, so you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free, comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's sentence clarity rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. Go to grammarly.com podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over and by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.